The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Every single word that came out of Calvin Candy's mouth was nothing but bullshit. But he was right by one thing. I am that one nigga in 10,000. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I am a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roke. I'm a writer, producer, host uh, in San Diego, California. And finally, we have arrived at Candyland. And I'm looking forward to jumping into another um, episode of The Cinephiles talking about Django Unchained. Well, and of course, we couldn't be talking about Django Unchained without our incredibly special guest, actor, comedian, writer, pundit, Jay Washington. Welcome back to The Cinephiles. Uh, thank you, man. This is this has been a very, very fun discussion, I will be honest, um, to break down a movie more than just liking it, to go deep into historical values and things that have pl- applied throughout history that you hear of and things people didn't know of. I did. I love it. I got to agree, being that John and I have been doing this now for seven years. <laughs> I, I, I think part of it is it's like it's kind of what all of us would do anyway if we we're sitting around in a bar just talking movies is just yeah. digging into it, you know? For those of you who love these kinds of discussions, and certainly Jay and Steve and I just finished talking about how much we love having these discussions about films. If you've enjoyed being a part of our show and, and uh, you know, listening to all the things and all the films that we've broken down over the years, um, we'd love you to switch on over to our Patreon. If you haven't joined the Patreon, the Patreon is a great place to support everything we're going on. We're making moves. We're adding more things, more benefits for you all. And we're looking to explore more um, avenues for us to provide benefits for you all. Uh, so we'd love for you all to support us and help us get to that next level that the Cinephiles deserves to go to. And you can do that at cinephiles.com slash the Patreon. See all the multiple tiers that are available and multiple benefits that are available for you when you join uh, being a part of our family here on the Patreon. Well, and I think, you know, now we should just jump back into this conversation. We left off. Django had just met Stephen and just <laughs> seen Hildy, the woman of literally of his dreams, pulled out of the hot box and thrown into a wheelbarrow and dragged away. I mean, it's just a brutal moment. Yeah. And then we cut from that, from that brutality to the most elegant circumstances, almost shockingly elegant, I find, which is just seeing them setting the table and preparing for dinner at Candyland. Yeah. It's not supposed to be beautiful as the <laughs> slavery, but it is. You know, no. it's so elegant, like you said. It, it it reminds me in a weird way. It's like it's like remains of the day, you know, where they're just so meticulously setting each piece of silverware must be in exactly the right position. And it, by the way, it just occurred to me that the guy who is in charge of those people in remains of the day is Stevens. Mm, and right, this is right. Steven. Yes. Yeah, right. Good point. Um, one interesting technical thing, by the way, is that 
Quentin Tarantino wanted the dining room to be upstairs and the kitchen to be upstairs because of the way he was going to set up shots later with the stairs. There would never be a dining room or a kitchen upstairs at this time because you had open fires and there's no uh, running water. So kitchens were always downstairs uh, at this time. But anyway, that's not a big deal. Uh, I also I also noticed, like, why do you think it's important to Calvin Candy that all of the slaves working in his house are dressed so beautifully oh it's always been this thing the house slaves have a left you're you're inside remember the out, outer slaves are in tattered rags the out slave the field slaves are in the most dirtiest of clothes just we don't need this no more the stuff the overseers didn't even wear anymore and this one is my house is beautiful so you need to be dressed beautiful you know i don't yes you're a slave but you need to be dressed in a way that shows a level of decorum. You know, if I go to a fancy restaurant, this is what I see. So I need that feeling here at home. Um, and speaking of having someone dressed beautifully, now we see that Hildy has been dressed in a beautiful yeah. outfit. And Candy's sister, Laura Lee, is leading her up. and knocks on the door. And there is Dr. Schultz. Hello, ladies. Dr. Schultz. And it's interesting the way Tarantino sets it up because the door is blocking Hildy at this moment. It's a pleasure to meet you, Broomhilda. I've heard a lot of good things about you. What does Broomhilda think is about to happen? We got to play this game. Steve, we really got to play this game of what does she think? <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. I mean, all you know, of the cinephiles is asking the question of what does someone think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you already know she knows. For all intents and purposes, she's going to be assaulted. She's going to be raped. Yeah, you know, but she's going to be raped for pleasure, which it, you know we and I and I have to I have to distinguish that because and the reason being for those listening is when we hear the horrific things that happen in the street, it's power, right? Mm. When you have these comfort girls, they are for pleasure. You know, it is a power dynamic, absolutely. Yes, still, yeah. but it's more of this. Going to a brothel instead of the women in a brothel doing what they want to do willingly, these are all the women being brought in who are here against their will. Yeah, none, none of them want to do this. Yeah, part of the reason I asked the question is the other question I wanted to ask is, does Schultz know that she thinks that? Yes, because that's what um, Django told him when they were sitting by the window mm-hmm. together. That she's it's a woman of comfort is what he called it. I, I find it I find it a little here, here's what I'll say is that yeah. I think you I think you're right, of course. But I also think that Schultz, I think throughout this whole sequence is where we see how naive he is. Is that he is he knows I think he knows that intellectually, but I don't think he's processed it emotionally to understand that he's gonna scare the crap out of her, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I think he did process a little bit because remember, he takes he has his jacket off when he's in the yeah. room, right? He's trying to make he's, her comfortable. He's making her comfortable because he knows right. it's about to happen. Yeah. And so, like, once if you go two minutes later, once he's brought into the room and he closes the door on Laura Lee and proceeds to speak in German, mm. he makes up the bed and everything to let her know nothing is about to happen. He does. He to- he does. But he also says things like you're so beautiful. And he he kind of he doesn't say you're going to he doesn't literally doesn't say, don't worry, you're going to be OK. I'm not going to no, touch you because no, he you shouldn't know. say that because if right. he did and anybody heard them from the house, that would be reported. And but he's, he's, 
there's but probably speak- people listening in on the door. So, they but he's think. speaking German. He knows they don't know, and he also says we're going to get you out of here. So eventually he does, but not until she's a little more in the room, a little more settled somewhat. But initially he's, yeah, I I get your point that he's being clumsy about it in a way, even though he's trying to be nice to her, Mm -hmm. he's not flat out saying it. Right. But I think, like you said, I don't know about naive, but certainly inexperienced in being in a situation like this. So he's using the tactics that he thinks works and he's trying to speak to her as a nor as he would speak to a normal yeah, woman exactly that is not in a situation of slavery and trying to kind of calm her down uh, but also remember uh, um Django has pitched to him that she is a woman of intelligence a woman of accomplishment sure. she, mm-hmm. what, she spoke german so he's approaching her as a lady and so he's trying to kind of maybe connect to that but not fat maybe not fully factoring in the experience that she experiences that she has had up to this point you know and one more thing, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, guys. She's Broomhilda from the legend. Right, the legend, yeah, right. exactly. Sure, she's Broom. The Broomhilda is the most beautiful woman. Remember, she's this beautiful princess, and he hears the legend, the real Siegfried, who is Django to him. But now to see a real Broomhilda who is just as beautiful, and again, like he says to her, all the emotions are warranted. Yeah. You, you, you know what I'll do? I will speak now as a white guy. And I will say, here's my... <laughs> You're speaking as before. <laughs> well, specifically, I will say that... Yes. Is, is that white folks... The reason this jumps out at me is that I notice frequently white folks not being sensitive to a whole bunch of things or not really fully understanding an experience from a perspective that's not their own. Not that they're not well-meaning, not that they don't have the right intentions, but they don't understand, you know, it's like, you know, like the asking that touch an African-American's hair, you know, yeah. things like that of like, just not getting what these histories are or what that other perspective is because you see you're so locked into your own perspective. So that's, yeah. that's what I'm seeing in this moment, a, a well-meaning guy, who doesn't quite understand, who might intellectually understand the scariness of the situation, but isn't being as sensitive as he should be to what's yeah. going on. You know, how many of us would be, you know, in yeah. that situation too. So uh, he starts to talk about their mutual friend and we cut to, which I really like just the shot of Django's boots. Stay, we know he's standing outside the door and he informs her that he and their mutual friend have the intention to take you away from here forever. Mm. And she says, I don't got any friends. What does she even think Django's alive at this point? Nope. Uh, remember, I would, no. remember when they ran away, burned away, run away R into their cheek. Django has sand, sell them at the sell them separately. Yeah. And sell them cheap. So she knew, you know, when people are sold separately, the odds of ever, ever seeing that loved one again are slim to none. So you're out here by yourself. Yeah. And then you don't have any friends because of the way she's been treated. Hildy have fun with all them big men. You know, you find out Hildy, she must have fun with all the Mandingos and all this and the third. There, there's nothing about her, even the way she's with the dinner service. You find out all these different things. She doesn't have friends. She's just been by herself struggling throughout all of this. Well, and I think there's like a, I would assume a mental discipline of that part of my life is over. I I, I will never see him again. So, mm-hmm. I have to cut off that part of my brain to even think of it, mm-hmm. you know, but he says, you do have a friend. And she asks, where is the friend? He points the door 
asks her to promise not to scream, which she does. And then he knocks, which is obviously the signal. And the door opens. And there is Django who says, Hey, little troublemaker. And her faint, the way the glass pours out as she faints, it's just, it's a, it's one of my favorite faints I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. You know? It's such a, it's such a, oh shit. That's yeah. what it is. It's a quiet faint too. Like, cause if she had yeah. dropped the glass loudly, it would have attracted attention. Totally. And I'm scared that she's going to break that glass right. as I'm watching it. And now we're going to go to dinner. Um, it is, of course, very formal in this dining room. And the first thing that we're talking about at dinner is the Mandingos that are his top mm -hmm. three. Samson, Goldie, and Eskimo Joe. Samson's your best. We all know that. You will never sell him. And I can see why. He's a champion. Mm -mm. All three are champions. Did you notice, how, John, how he held up the number three? Yeah. It's an unusual way. Yeah. It is, I think, the way they hold it up that in Inglorious Bastards, mm. that is the difference between the European way and the American, or the, the, the German way and the British way. Yeah, it makes I sense. Mm. I didn't even think about that. I have big ideas when it comes to presentation. Mm. I need something more than just a big nigger. Yeah, he needs to have panache. And Stephen kind of wants to know what that word means. And I love the way Leonardo DiCaprio fakes pretends that his character knows it yeah and then goes but why don't you to explain mm -hmm. again he's not educated man in any way shape. not at all no nope. not at all a sense of showmanship showmanship yes i want to be able to bill him as the black hercules <laughs> <laughs> to which steven says more like the black I, there's no way there's no way for me to like say this joke. i can say it i can say it more like Hercules. i was like yo <laughs> Yes, ladies um, and gentlemen, a black man said that for those that are listening, you are okay. <laughs> you are okay. Um, <laughs> I, I love how the both of them just stopped. They was like, I don't, I don't know where to go from here. The word and word will only be spoken by Jay Washington. Yeah. Yes, it will. <laughs> we should put that as the warning at the beginning. Of the yeah, show. right. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, for, the, <laughs> for all of you listening. <laughs> And then we, and then Hildy comes in and she's pouring uh, for Schultz, who speaks to her in German, and she laughs. See, you two getting on <laughs> famously. Oh, Monsieur Condé, you can't imagine what it's like not to hear your native tongue in four years. Well, hell, I can't imagine two weeks in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks in Boston. <laughs> well, that is the moment I wanted to talk about, Jay, which is. Steven's reaction to this. <laughs> he's like he's like a hype man or something in this, oh, yeah. you know? Like it, it's it, and it's it's so cloyingly obviously full of shit, you know? Yes, it is. How would he know what Boston is like, right? Well, you got Steve. So again, that that was those those house those house slaves are always you know, the hype man, the yes men, mm. the whatever you say, no matter what, no matter how stupid it may sound, it's right. You're right. If you make a joke, no matter if it's not funny, I'm going to laugh at your joke. Because yeah. think about it. No one else at the table laughed at that. Yeah. Yeah. But Steven did. And so you always have that. But then it also ties into Steven as manipulative yep. as he is, mm. because Steven knows. I got just I got more power than you, but I'm gonna still make you feel like you're in control. Mm -hmm. 
it I'll, I'll I'll tie it into one little bitty scene from one movie from the Dark Knight Rises. Mm. Remember the guy that ran the bank and Bane walked up on him and just put his hand on his shoulder and said, yeah. "Do you feel like you're in control?" <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like you're in control? Do you feel like you're in control? And did, didn't do another thing. Mm-hmm. Steven giggling with him. You feel like you're in control. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel like it. I can't express the joy I felt conversing in my mother tongue. And Hildy is a charming conversation companion. Now, they all think that he had sex with her, too obviously mm-hmm. like this whole charming conversationalist they're not buying it all yeah well be careful now dr schultz you might have caught yourself a little dose of nigger love mm. nigger love's a powerful emotion boy mm. it's like a pool of black tar once it catches your ass you call <laughs> yes sir you stuck. <laughs> it's so disgusting <laughs> on there's like 10 levels of disgustingness to that sen- sentence mm. well i mean obviously it's how can I say this? What is that? I mean, Spike Lee did that film Jungle Fever, right? Is that's the that's, first time? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, that's, that's the first time I ever heard that term is when that film came out, mm. and I did the research on it. I was like, wow, that I mean, the insanity to create a term like that. You know what I'm saying? So because just, we were considered beasts, we were considered yeah, animals. Yeah. We we were less than human back then, and the fact of the matter was. Slave masters fell in love with their slaves. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't just the sexual nature. They fell in love with them. One of the founding fathers. Yep. Thomas motherfucking Jefferson. Yeah, yeah. You know, fell in love with a slave. Yeah. Well, in the levels of what exactly are you falling in love with, with this person who has no choice, you know, and later on, we're going to see him extol the beauties of the scars on her back from being whipped. I mean, there's mm-hmm. like, that's what I mean. There's so many levels of fucked upness within mm-hmm. that sentiment. I don't know, doctor. You can lay on all the German sweet talk you want, but it looks like this pony's got big eyes for Django. <laughs> that one sentence yep. ruins everything. Yes, it does. Because a woman can see everything a man can't. Very true. Let's just be honest. You know, this is, people hate to admit it. Women, when they say woman's intuition, that shit is real. That shit is real. That shit is real. Yeah. They can see what we can't. And everybody would just think, because again, the thought of Calvin and even Steven beforehand is Hildy just like the Mandingos that we put her with and she don't really care. Right. But, Laura Lee was like, no, 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 no. That that's not Schultz she wants. It's Django. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what just occurred to me is what you just said, Jay, points out all of a sudden to me, I just went, that points out perfectly the fallacy of treating this group of people as less than human. Because mm-hmm. what she recognized, what Laura Lee recognized was their humanity. You know what I mean? Like you can't say that there's an attraction there. There's that that's and at the same time, go these are less than human. That, that there's a and, that, and that's the contradiction that all of yeah. this is rife with throughout slavery and throughout and not just slavery throughout the day and all of this, you know, acts of racism is every piece of evidence says that we're all just humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you hear me? You, you know who that nigga, don't you? Who? Who? Don't who me, bitch. You know who I'm talking about. At the table. I don't know him. 
Is she doing a convincing job lying in this scene? Nope. Nope. Yeah. And that, by the way, is one of my favorite kinds of acting to watch because that's really good acting is when you can modulate exactly the level of the goodness of your lie. Hers is like a 60 or 70%. Like she's trying hard to pull it off, but yeah. you could see her trying hard to pull it off and not make it. Who, him? I, I don't know him. <laughs> John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old. And this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Stephen, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. We're back at the table negotiating over Eskimo Joe. Django brings the price down from the initial 12 grand and says maybe 9,000. Let me re-clarify how this whole negotiation came about. You see, it wasn't me who came to you to sell a nigga. Sure what? It was you who approached me to buy one. Sure what? Now that $9,000 figure Bright Boy's been banning about, that ain't too far off from riding. If I wanted to sell Eskimo Joe for that, I could do so any day of the week. Any day. But like you said in Greenville, Doc, I don't want to sell them. It was on your ridiculous offer of $12,000 that made me even consider it. Mm -hmm. And this is when he says, you got a deal. They all agree. They all celebrate. We're talking about lawyers and doctors and paperwork and all of that stuff. And it looks like everything's going to go fine. So, Hildy, how you like serving at the big table in the big house, huh? I like it a lot, Monsieur Cannon. Mm-hmm. It's a lot better than sizzling that hot box mm. and dragging your ass through a bramble bush. <laughs> Maybe it's not quite as much fun as getting to pleasure all the mandingos, mm. huh, sugar bear? Oh, she liked them niggas. Like she Samson, mm -hmm. huh? <laughs> so she, I, I just can't, I don't know. I got no, I don't know if I have anything to say other than just the horror. This is all horrible. <laughs> well, let me ask a question then. Um, is this the first time that she's been in the big house? Because he says, do you like serving in the big house? 
It seems um, like it. Has she been called? Okay. Has she been called upon to service anyone of what is deemed to be quality in Candy's mind, mind uh, with Christoph Waltz? Has she been handed off to anybody like that? Or has it only just been Mandingo's? It's possibly been both, but I think, you know, serving in the big house as far yeah. as a server capacity. Right. I believe Hildy's been in the house before, right. but serving is a whole different ball. Remember, you know, yeah, she has that runaway R, but she's still cute. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. She's still cute, which for all intents and purposes in this movie, a lot of different slaves that we see, because it's always said the cute ones were supposed to be in the house, yeah. right? When you look at Big Daddy's, even though it was a, basically a whorehouse he was running, yeah, you know the women we saw weren't—I hate to use the term—weren't ugly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. So I think Hildy was there before, okay, but I just don't think she's ever been a part of the dinner service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's kind of the sense that I get. I also go, I think, and maybe correctly so. Other than these moments of hinting at it, I don't think we delve too much into what. Hildy's trauma might have been in terms of what she's been forced to do since coming to Candyland. Well, it's not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not her story. It's his story. Yeah. And she must remain this thing that he must save for the construct of the story. Whether you agree with it or not, it's a separate conversation. But this is the approach Tarantino has chosen because of what we've pointed out a number of times here. You know, he's this is the legend, the German legend. So it must she must re- remain this thing he must yeah. save or rescue. I think that's I think that's the key is that yeah. I I think she's she doesn't feel like a person who has been deeply traumatized even though she has been. Do you know what I mean? Right. Because yeah. she's the princess, because she is the 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 goal. There, mm-hmm. there, there, I would say what's really weird is and this is just my impression in terms of the character and the way the character is portrayed, not the experience. Right. There's a purity to Hildy, I think. Mm. You know what I mean? In the way that the character is presented. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She's created that way so that we as an audience want her to be rescued. Right. Yeah. Right. Because technically, I think if we think this is something I think we're forgetting about, mm. we're forgetting about one important part. She's new to Candyland. Right. 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 It hasn't she been only, that long. She goes to Candyland around the same time Schultz frees Django. Yeah. Yep. Point. Yeah. 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 So it's been so, a, few, a few months. Yeah, it's been a few months there. That's yeah. why, again, I have no friends here. Yeah, right, right. You right. know, there's, you know, fine. She probably was in the house, but probably again, you came here. We need you to help. We need you to reap. Luckily, the one thing we didn't see because again, this is was was used also to please in the mandingos was using them to help. You know, make more mandingos, make more slaves. Mm-hmm. Doctor Schultz, when he was alone with Hilda here, did you, did you just speak German or? Did you get to take her clothes off? No, it just talked. And... Oh, so, so, so you haven't seen her back. And Candy is just excited to show off a toy, yeah. show off an object. And he asks her to take her clothes off, and they pull her over. And it's it's very obvious, by the way, that Candy's sister is not comfortable with undressing this slave at the dinner table, even though she knows what goes on. Yeah, I, I don't want to jump... Let me know when we can talk about Candy's sister, because I got some things to say about that. So let's let's keep going, though. Let's keep going. I mean, 
we can talk I mean, it's whenever you want to talk about it, John. I like it. He was like, let me know because I got some things. Let me know. No, um, yeah, because I okay, so I know sometimes I get shit from my analytical brain, but this is who I am, so fuck off. Um this <laughs> I just like to say that sometimes people go, Oh, Roke reads so much in the shit. I'm sorry, you can't, but I do. Uh this thing with her is so interesting, and I would love to sit down for with Tarantino for like 15 minutes and and or 20 minutes because knowing how long how long he takes to answer questions um and ask him about his approach to Candy's sister because this idea that she always she is in essence the only white woman in the movie that I can think of yeah that has any kind of major part yeah, yeah that has any kind of major part right but she is you know waiting for Candy she's on him hand and foot he tells her to get her ready she has no problem doing that. As you said, doesn't problem showing the things. And so in essence, she's complicit in oh, this yeah. whole situation. Very much, yeah. Right? And so I wonder, because I mean, I think of that uh, thing that Bill Burr talked about on SNL that he got so much shit for talking about how white women took over the Me Too movement and stepped up, but had no problem letting their white men, you know, do the things that they were doing. And only then, only when it started to become a big deal, they want to take over the movement. And so this idea how white women seem to, I would say, I don't want to generalize, but some white women, I will say this, in these situations were quite happy to go along with it and hide behind the gender dynamics or gender politics and uh, of the time. But we're not seeing that here, right? We don't see her necessarily be afraid of candy, but she does what's required of her service. And then when Django kills her later, it is a brutal death. A dismissive death for the it is a hilarious death, right? Right, that is the most hilarious death. death movie. So, I'm just, it, I would be interested to find out how he approached her and what commentary he was trying to make about the women who were connected to these men who were doing this kind of slavery. You know, oh, I think that's I, we've I, seen I, pictures of white women going, uh, you know, spewing racist shit. Even now, back again, now it's back again. But you see those pictures of those young girls, those black girls going to college or going to school, rather, in the South when they were doing segregation. And it is white women front and foremost yelling at them, calling them all kinds of words. So I'm just very curious as I as I look at how he portrayed her sister, his sister, rather, in this film, what Tarantino was trying to do with that character. There's also a fear of black women as far as their beauty. A hundred percent. Of their beauty. That as well. Yes. More than anything, not just the power and the resiliency of a black woman, but think about it. The natural beauty of a black woman, as I brought up earlier, mm. slave masters and owners were sleeping with their, their black yeah. slaves and they would dismiss their wives right. for them. Or sisters. Or, or in, sisters. In terms of, we yeah, don't even know. And that's another thing. We don't know the full dynamic of Candy and his sister's relationship. Yeah, she may have yeah. been widowed, but it really feels like they had more than a normal brother-sister relationship. I 100% agree with you, bro. That radiates off of them. I By the way, bad. if this were a video podcast, the the Roka reaction to that statement would, <laughs> would definitely have been in the highlight reel. I didn't know if we were going to bring that up, but yeah, I'm glad Jay kind of sensed that as well. Yeah, yeah. I have many thoughts and I'll start with where we sort of ended, which is there's unquestionably a weirdness in that relationship from the way that he greets her for the way that she treats him. There is, I, I, and definitely I think just on the base level, it's that she was widowed. 
that life is over and she has realized that her entire survival and happiness is entirely dependent on her brother. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she is, so she is being the woman of the house in every possible way. Going back to your er earlier points, John, I think all humans can rationalize the situations that they're in and ignore the evil that they are participating in. Uh That is, that is definitely true. Yeah. I also think that there is no question that racism is not uh, specific to gender. Males and females can be just as fucking heinous as, as each other. And the third one is absolutely a, the, the uh, women in the South who are yeah. part of slavery are part of slavery. Yes, mm-hmm. they don't have the power that the men had, but yeah. that they, they are benefiting from it. Their their clothes are being cleaned by it. And the fact that she delivers Hildy to Schultz, yeah. she mm-hmm. in her mind, she knows what's gonna happen there. She might, and this is why this is why I think this moment at the dinner table is interesting, which is that. It's not that she objects or vocally objects to the fact that all of these men are sleeping with these slaves or raping these slaves is the more accurate statement from today's perspective. But it's that the decorum of doing it at the table is inappropriate. That is Mm -hmm. what's bugging her. Southern dinner is a is a is a special time. It's Southern dinner service. Don't do this here. Do it later. Yep. Yeah. And this is and this is the you know, like, you know, we mentioned Thomas Jefferson. This is the great hypocrisy of like we can walk around like we're great men and doing great things. And we're just going to put this. We're not going to let anyone see this other stuff over here, which we know is fucked up and horrible. Particularly Mm -hmm. Thomas Jefferson definitely knew what he was doing was fucked up. Oh, yeah. But this moment of exposing her back and showing off those scars is it continues to be just awful. Hilly's got something like four lashes on her back. No, you just get one. She lose her goddamn mind. Sure Look at that, doctor. It's like a painting. Look at that. Calvin! And what has Django been doing as the woman that he loves is being treated this way? Seething. Just seething. Not Trying just seething. Not, remember, get ready to pull that pistol again. Yeah. He's got his hand. His That gun is coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's ready to go. Also seems strange to me that at this very elegant dinner that they came armed to the dinner table and that that, that seems that seems weird, but works for the movie yeah. in terms of what's goes on. You said you ain't know him. I don't. Why is you lying to me? I... And why is you crying? And I love Carrie Washington here. She's so good. You're scaring me. Why is I'm scaring you? You scary. <laughs> no, and he is scary for God. So there's a mixture of lying and telling the truth in this moment that can be, it's kind of maybe hard for Steven to navigate in that moment just yet. Yeah. And he sits her down, heads back to the dining room where now finally we have talked about uh, wanting to take Hildy as well. And Steven interrupts. Miss Yo Candy, could I get a word with you in the kitchen? And Candy's like, what? Yeah, it's so unusual. It's yeah. unusual. Yeah, yeah. It's about dessert. What about dessert? I'd rather discuss that in private. <laughs> what happened to white cake? What sort of melodrama could be brewing back there? <laughs> white cake? How dense. This is how dense Calvin is. Yeah, 100%, yeah. right? Yeah. And he whispers to him, meet me in the library. 
As you can see, talented as they are, no doubt, in the kitchen from time to time. Adult supervision is required. Like, you know anything about making a fucking white cake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, what are you going to contribute to this situation? But again, that, I, have to, I have to maintain that image. Yeah. I yep. have to oh, keep course. making it look like I know exactly how to. Oh, they are doing this. I could do this on my own if I chose to, but I just don't. That's why I have them do it. Yeah, I, the the rich folks criticizing people for not <laughs> criticizing people for failing to perfectly do a thing that they are totally incapable of doing. Yeah, really bugs me. <laughs> Wait, are you saying that there are people who criticize other people for doing things that they're incapable of doing? Yes. Fascinating. I know it's weird, right? Oh my god! <laughs> I don't I'm know if you've ever. Let me clutch my pearls. <laughs> have you ever seen this? I don't know if you've ever seen these things. They're called sports. <laughs> Occasionally, <laughs> right. people say things like that well, in those circumstances. They're also called YouTube channels. Uh, anyway, yeah. let's move. It. Let's move on. Well, people yelling at waiters and restaurants, and people—it's oh. just like all that oh. just drives me nuts. This scene that we're about to head into in the library is amazing. Yeah. And it and and it's really it's these clue the first clue we had was Steven signing Candy's name. Mm-hmm. That's the first mm-hmm. moment. And we've had all these odd little moments where he kind of disrespects Candy or he lords it over Candy and we see his power consistently through this and then as Candy enters the library and the shot is behind Steven's bald head. Yeah. And we see him the camera wings around to show him Elegantly sipping cognac from a snifter. Uh-huh. And it's like, whoa, who and we the person we're about to see is speaks in a way that he has never spoken in the movie. Them motherfuckers ain't here to buy no mandingos. They wants that girl. And then Stevens, ostensibly the slave, says to ostensibly his master, They playing your ass for a fool, is what I'm talking about. And what's amazing is that Candy doesn't react yeah. to him being called a fool by Stevens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is not the first time he's spoken to him this way. No. And I'm sure there's a pattern here. I'm sure Steven only pulls out this behavior when he's 100% yep. right about something. And Candy has seen him be right about something 100% of the time when he's done this. Let's go back to the very beginning, the first time we're introduced to Steven. Mm. Who is this nigga on the neck? Just talking, what are you doing? It's just, what are you doing? Right. I, I'm st- how do we know how smart Steven is? Calvin, you that damn blinded by money, you can't see what's really going on? Yeah. They've played you. He even, and he even tells them. They doing it because that nigga Django's in love with Hildy. She probably his wife. Now, why that German gives a fuck who that up to some bitch is in love with, I'm sure I don't know. I'm sure I don't know. A line which he will end up using again in the hateful eight. That's true. I I love the moment too, by the way, that Candy hasn't quite accepted this truth. And I love Steven's talking to himself going, thank you, Steven. You're welcome, Calvin. (laughs) I love it. It doesn't come. Thank you, Steven. You're welcome, Calvin. And he just continues to sip. (laughs) Yep. Um, and finally, finally, Candy sort of takes this in, accepts it, and says, Those lying, goddamn time wasting sons of bitches. Sons of bitches! I think they, you know what's funny is that I think they could have just gotten Hildy straight up. 
I do too. It was Schultz who thought that they couldn't do it, just go and buy her and take her away that he'd see. But like, I think there was a better plan than this. I agree, because this whole yeah. deception is why Candy turns on them. It isn't about the money. I mean, $12,000 for a female slave, I'm sure Candy would be like, fuck yeah, whatever, that's cool, give it to me. But because they insulted his intelligence, and what is Candy the most sensitive about is his intelligence that is what spurs everything that happens from this point forward, including the fantastic monologue we're about to get from. But I don't, know, I don't think you could go again. There'd have to be a reason he would know why Hildy in particular. He does. Is, there is one. There is one though. She speaks German. Is right, that, he could have gone and said, "Okay, yes, I hear there's this woman. I need someone who speaks German because I'm going to travel back to Germany. Whatever you know, whatever yeah. reason, yeah. And and I will pay a thousand dollars for her, probably. Yeah. And he would go, "Oh my God, I could sell this person. I wouldn't sell for three hundred for a grand, and they'd buy her, you know, and that'd be that. But then we don't have a movie. <laughs> um, I also want to, yeah, we, we can the film. So yeah. Um, also, by the way, I, I I think I mentioned this, John. Maybe we were talking about. I don't remember or somewhere we were talking about the connection with Hitchcock, yeah. all of these scenes at the dinner table. There's so much about Hitchcockian suspense mm-hmm. is we're sitting yeah. here, not talking about feeling all this tension of like, yeah. what's going to happen. We know something's going to happen. And that tension is building. Yeah. And I, I, this is that thing. I don't think Tarantino gets enough credit for is his ability. Like in the Christoph Waltz scene at the opening of Inglorious Bastards yeah. of his ability to slowly build tension over time. Because that's certainly happening here. People for people are so caught up with the violence in his movies yeah. that they don't focus on the fact of how great he is at the tension and the pacing and keeping you on the edge of your seat through the entire film. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, because I think I bet if you did the percentage of time that there's violence in his movies, it's a very small percentage compared to how much he take time he takes in building and setting the scene and building up these characters and then putting you through a tense filled. A journey until we get to that explosion of violence or whatever. I mean, compared to something like a Marvel film, it's way lower. You know, <laughs> it's probably true. You know, a Marvel film's like forty percent action. Yeah, compared and to this, the Expendables, come on. <laughs> yeah, there, the yeah. Expendables is eighty nine point six percent action. Well, didn't you just see John Wick four, John? <laughs> Dude, it is two hours and forty five minutes of nothing but action, and maybe five minutes of conversation. So, in other words, I need to make sure I piss fully. Well, you should piss fully. <laughs> yes, yes. Candy returns to the dining room. He's carrying a bag. And I think Django already knows that something's gone south. Mm-hmm. And he pulls out a skull. Who's your little friend? This is Ben. He's an old Joe that lived around here for a long time. Old Ben here took care of my daddy and my daddy's daddy till he up and killed over one day. Well, Ben took care of me. Why is he carrying around old Ben's skull in the back? Again, it, it's he's about to say it, and he brought it up earlier. My phrenology expert friend. Yeah. So now Calvin can feel smart. I have a skull because he's about to give the most illogical-ass explanation yeah. for anything ever with this skull. Yeah. And to be real, real clear phrenology is bullshit this is there's no this is yes. not real science and yeah. you know this exactly. is all that exploded i spent my whole life here right here in candleland surrounded 
by black faces. I seen them every day, day in, day out. I, I only had one question. Why don't they kill us? That is a good question. Yeah. What? Oh, it's easy. You can skip. You know, it's always been this theory. Everybody's always said the slaves outnumbered the slave masters. Right. Right. Why did they never just rise up? It was the level of fear, the level of fear, not just fear, the level. And people like, well, yeah, somebody be like, oh, they might kill one or two of us. But if you do it in such a horrendous of a manner, yeah. And if you actually beat someone within an inch of their life to let them live and go back to doing what they were doing before you beat them that brutally, you scare anybody else. You, you ingrain in that this could happen to me. Yep. Well, in every, absolutely in every circumstance and whether it's the Holocaust or just Mm. poor folk in America today, you know, there are always reasons where the power structure makes it very difficult to, rise up and fight back what i actually mean when i say that is an interesting question is that you should ask yourself you know like that that is a you and it goes back to you know what you are doing is evil and you know you are doing it to humans otherwise you don't ask that question now right out there on that porch three times a week for 50 years old ben here would shave my daddy with a straight razor now if I was old Ben, I would have cut my daddy's goddamn throat and it wouldn't have taken me no 50 years to do it neither. And then rather than your totally rational explanation of why he didn't do that, he goes to phrenology. In the skull of the African here, the area associated with submissiveness is larger than any human or any other subhuman species on planet Earth. This is some grade A bullshit. I mean, this is unbelievable bullshit. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to cut open poor old Ben's head to prove the point. And he cuts it open with a saw. And he talks about there are these little dimples and that these dimples are in the submissive area and says, If I was holding the skull of, a, of, a, of an Isaac Newton or, or Galileo, these three dimples would be found in the area of the skull most associated with creativity. But this is the skull of old Ben. And in the skull of old Ben, unburdened by genius. The ridiculous rationalizations to continue a behavior that serves you mm. at, the, at the cost of torturing millions yeah. is, yeah. Now, bright boy, I will admit you are pretty clever. But if I took this hammer here and I bashed in your skull with it, you would have the same three dimples in the same place. Is old Ben. Why would he think that the guy that has sassed him and talked back to him in a way that no one other than Stephen ever has would have the three dimples for submissiveness? Because he's being led around by a white man. Oh. Mm. Okay. Even though he's he's even though he's one in ten thousand, even though he's bright boy, yeah, still running around with a white man. You're still right, submissive. And right at this moment, wait, wait, wait. What do you think it is, Steve? Why do I think it is? Yeah, it's 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 the delusion of racism. It's the same thing we've been saying the whole time. It's cognitive dissonance. It's looking at the information that is directly in front of you in the world and refusing to see it. That is what it is. Yeah, you know. I think it's a matter of 
no matter what you do, you're still this to us. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's certainly an element of what you're talking about, of course, Steve, the racism, but it is to keep you in your place. You must know no matter how much you try to rise up, you are genetically unable to because yeah. you are lesser than in construction than white people. Yeah. It's so funny. I want to. I'm going to take your sentence, and I'm going to say exactly the same sentence with a slightly different meaning, just because I think it's interesting. Because I agree with exactly what you said. Mm-hmm. Is that you? The way you said it was from Django's perspective. Yeah. Is, and I think there's a way to say exactly what you said. For me to keep you in your place, you must be genetically inferior. Now I can't remember exactly what your sentence was, but like that mentally in his head, for him to do this thing of keeping someone in his place, he must frame them this way. Yes. You know? Yes. Yes. And, I and, read this on the internet. It yes. must be true. This is why I'm better than you. Just the internet saying. wouldn't lie to me with this random link, would it? Just saying. Yeah. I, I was I was recently scrolling through Instagram, and Instagram knows that I'm interested in martial arts. And so it'll show me martial arts, you know, uh, kung fu experts, karate experts, and occasionally a real fight. And there was some real fight. And I don't know the circumstances, but it was a white guy and two black guys. And it it was actually the white guy and the black guy. One of the black guys was together against the other guy. Okay. Anyway, the, all of the comments descended into racism. Of course. And, and it was like from, this is why black people should never trust a white guy. This is why black people are untrustworthy inferior this is why white people are trying to abuse and i was like look we know nothing about the circumstances of what this fight was or how it started or who these people are or anything but it instantly became everybody talking about what it means to be black or white and then attacking everybody else yeah you know so we have this moment and then shockingly right as he's saying this There is Pooch with a shotgun as Calvin screams and Leonardo DiCaprio slams his hand down and cuts himself really badly. The actual actor actually cuts himself by accident and then goes on with the scene without breaking. And apparently all the actors are freaked and stunned because he's bleeding a fair amount. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Uh, all three of us have acted. All three of us have been on stage. I've never been on. I know, John, you have a story of things going really awry on a Multiple stage. Multiple stories, yeah. Yeah, but like I can't imagine someone pouring blood and just going, I guess we're staying in the scene, you know? <laughs> well, we when we cover. Oh, uh, what further? Carrie Washington. Dude. Yeah. She should have won an Oscar for that alone. <laughs> well, that, you mean when the blood's on her face? <laughs> when he just rubs it in? Yeah, That's no. fake blood. Oh, okay. All right. Because oh. what happened is after they did the, the, basically it's only up through the first part of the scene is where he's uh, actually bleeding. Okay. And then the scene, the, they, you know, Quentin says cut everyone, all the actors gave him a standing ovation because he's, because it's not just that he stayed in the scene. He's fucking amazing in this scene. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he is great. I he totally, I could feel that he just went, use it. Yeah. And he took all that pain and all that stress and that adrenaline that hit and he just poured it into the scene. And it's great. And from that point forward, Quentin said, well, I guess we have to keep it in. So he added the fake blood on Kerry Washington's face. He added the band. So the second half of the scene is all fake. Um, But the first half is real. I want to give a round of applause to his editor because the way it's shot, 
it doesn't look like there's a break in between. Don't lay your palms flat on that tabletop. If you lift those palms off that turtle shell tabletop, Mr. Pooch is going to let loose with both barrels that sawed off. I love, by the way, and this is where he's really bleeding, is that yeah. you see him look at his hand because he doesn't yeah. know what's going on. Yeah. And the elegance with which Leo turns to look at his bloody hand is amazing and how he uses it throughout. Listen, when you're in it, you're in it. And no matter what's going on, you're just in another world mentally. And so you play it as you play it as an actor and you are already, you've already created the character. So you're going to yep. play it within the character you've created. So just incredible work by him. I mean, just like, uh, you know, uh, Martin Sheen in another film we did uh, years ago, Apocalypse yeah, Now. Apocalypse him, now. Yeah, him actually, sh- uh, you know, cutting up his hand when he punches the mirror in his drunk scene. That's legitimately his blood on the sheets, yep. legitimately his blood on his hand. So, you know, it's very uh, connective, connected to that. Yep. Well, and there's, and I feel like, you know, years and years ago when we talked about the movie, we talked about the, there's a part of you, it's like, well, use it. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've already fucking injured myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, why, you know, like, why not use it? It's a waste if you don't use it. Yeah. Blade said, use it. <laughs> um, did you, did you really go to Blade Trinity? Blade. Oh, and- God love you, Jay. For you really go to what Blade Trinity <laughs> when he is telling her to scream and goes, use it. You use it. Really go to Blade Trinity. Mm. I entirely blocked that movie out, by the way. Uh, I have no memory <laughs> of it at all. Well, you should. That's You're well. mad that I knew exactly what scene it was. <laughs> exactly what scene I knew. When Zoe is dead and Jessica Alba is holding her and he also goes, use it. He was high as shit in that scene. <laughs> I loved it. I do believe you were just getting ready to make me a proposition to Bob Hilda. And Stephen kind of pushes her into frame, and Candy grabs her roughly. Show <laughs> ass in that gun. Lay your hand flat on that table. And she screams and forces her down in this chair. You see, under the laws of Chickasaw County, Broomhilda here is my property. And I can choose to do with my property whatever I so desire. And this is where he takes his bloody hand, goes down her face. And if y'all think my price for this nigga here is too steep, oh! what I'm gonna desire to do is. To death with it right in front of both y'all. Easy, big fella. Then we can examine the three dimples inside Pamela's skull. Now, what's it gonna be, Doc? And Schultz, who we talked about that we don't even think his heart rate went up when he was killing people before, is clearly freaked. What's it gonna be? May I lift the hands off the tabletop in order to remove my billfold? Yes, you may. And he opens it up, gives it to Stephen, who counts out. 12 $1,000 bills, and there's more money in there. There's the guy is carrying hundreds of thousands of dollars in his pocket. Hey, man, well, all them bounties paid off. <laughs> I mean, all them bounties. Hey, have you ever misplaced your wallet? I'm looking for $400 in my apartment right now. I can't find <laughs> it. Bad it. I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the hell I did with $400 in an envelope. I can't find Did you check the refrigerator? <laughs> everywhere right about that it was a pleasure doing business with y'all now gentlemen 
If you care to join me in the parlor, we will be serving white cake. Uh, the choice to make it white cake. Of course. <laughs> it's a little on the nose, but it still works. <laughs> well, also, it's pure. It's pure. Listen, gentlemen, we're going to take the racism out the desserts, okay? So this is, where you, <laughs> this is where you get to the pure, elegant, sweet nature of white cake. It's good confection and sugar to make the icing. <laughs> and it's just... <laughs> Doesn't have that nasty chocolate in it. It makes it all. Oh, don't you ever disrespect chocolate say that. <laughs> Let me say officially that the Cinephiles does not disrespect chocolate. We're full supporters of yes. chocolate. Chocolate and white cake. I like them both. Swirl yeah. them up. Come on now. I like <laughs> my, my fr- cakes integrated. Come on now. All right. The shots of signing the documents for Hildy are so painterly. And and beautiful, and we're listening to this beautiful harp music. Yeah. And Schultz is sitting there thinking and flashing back to the brutal killing of D'Artagnan by the dogs. And the contrast between that brutality and this woman playing the harp is just brutal. And he is losing it. Schultz is losing it. And he yeah. says, Could you please stop playing Beethoven? Take your hands off the harp. But I think it's in this moment, when you say Schultz is losing it, this is the one time where Schultz is having this revelation of the horrors and atrocities he's committed as a bounty hunter, but the horrors and atrocities he's really witnessed. These are, yes, these are murderers. These are lawless men he's all killed. But these are men that are maiming human beings just for the sake of to watch a man be ripped apart by dogs. Slavery in itself was one thing, but the D'Artagnan moment changed everything for him. Yeah. Yeah. So we're about to get to a moment where, and I think we said in an earlier part that Schultz messes this all up. Mm -hmm. Like, like they could have walked away with Hildy. Probably. Yes, short 12 grand, but they could have walked away and the Schultz messes up. And 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 I feel that way too. And and but I'm mean, debating whether or not I would say this, but I, I, I do want to bring this up as okay because I've kind of had an experience that is making me feel differently. Not that he doesn't mess it up, but understand Schultz. But okay. But under well, we'll Here's, get to that too. Yeah, okay. But understanding what's going on with Schultz in the scene is that I will say, and it's kind of come up a little bit before, but mm-hmm. I found doing Django with you guys more stressful than almost anything else we've ever done on the Cinephiles. And I can part- verify that for our listeners yeah. off mic. Steve and I have had conversations about his struggle with this episode, with this show. And, and, the, and it's not that I don't love talking to John and Jay, and it's not that mm-hmm. I don't think there's been a great conversation. But what I finally went was just like, oh, Yes, I'm not saying the actual N-word, but mm-hmm. having all of this, I'm the guy who's saying all these things. Yeah. And having all having to say all these things and to describe a dog, you know, ripping a person to death and describe rape and all and just over and over and over again. And I'm doing it where I'm looking at the face of an African-American guy who I like and respect. And I just. Oh, no, all, Jay. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Jay, I like really respect. Are, <laughs> really are I mean, sorry. I mean, honestly, it's fucking me up. This no, and, really and so so allow me to say this. Allow me to be Go ahead. the the voice of reason for you. <laughs> Thank you. And that's the best so way I can put it. On a time and date on this, that Jay Washington is the voice of reason. I like this. Yes, because 
I understand what you're saying, but I also attribute, you know, having to re having to recite these lines, see this movie over again, talk in depth about these just horrific moments. It almost goes back to the interview that Leo and Jamie did about mm. the movie. Mm. That's right. I remember that because Leo was like, I really do not feel comfortable saying this like this. He was like, he would apologize to Jamie repeatedly. And Jamie had to tell him, motherfucker, we are not friends. This is work. <laughs> yeah. To take the personal aspect out of it away, if that makes sense. Because I know for a lot of people, there is this inherent thing of, look, anybody that's white, we just give them a racist label off jump until they prove us otherwise. That's this thing. But I don't see, I've never seen that and gotten that from you. Well, and to know what the reason, again, if you're doing an introspective on Quentin Tarantino movies, yeah. you were going to eventually get to this point. You already got through Reservoir Dogs where the word is used for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. No reason. Inglorious Bastards for no reason. You've got this one, and then l- let's not forget Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. Where, do, yeah. do you see the sound of my house? It says dead nigga storage. Everybody was like, bro, you could have just said yeah. storage of dead bodies. Yeah. I use all of that to say I get where you're coming from. I understand how it can make you feel. Again, as a black person watching it, having had yeah. to study it, having had to hear the stories, having family members who are literally just a generation removed, you know, and grandparents and whatnot. It, it's hard, but we're getting through it yeah. together. <laughs> Thank now, you. Here, now, this is where you put in the middle of the recording the old NBC, the more you know. Done. <laughs> First of all, thank you. And I, I appreciate that. And the, the reason I did want to bring it up here is I suddenly went like, okay, if I was Schultz, a well-meaning white guy, and I had perfectly legitimate reasons for playing this role mm-hmm. to go rescue this woman that were really good. And I had witnessed from the Mandingo fight, through D'Artagnan, through all of the things that have happened up to this point, I know how I feel having to have described a movie. Mm. If I had been that guy actually in that world, I might be fucking losing it too. Mm. You know, that's that that's why I wanted to. Also, Schultz is a hero. In, the hero to Schultz is Django. Yeah. But Schultz is a hero in his own. Well, here are my thoughts on Schultz. Um I don't think he messes up here. I wouldn't characterize it that way now that we've had this discussion over two and a half parts. I think Schultz, for the first time, plays a hand Mm. in the game that he has benefited from. Tracking all these people down, turning in the bounties, he has made money off these people. Have they done terrible things to people? Yes. But the reason he has made this money is because they've done terrible things to people. So him killing them, although it does stop them from doing those terrible things at the time, he doesn't stop them for anything but profit. And this is the first time that he's actually stopping someone without profit. In fact, 
he's $12,000 in the hole. Yeah. And so this is the first pure act of allyship or friendship or heroism that he performs in the movie. Saving Django was for a purpose. And now he's caught up in this eventually to go save Hildy. And so he's always like part of this thing, but this is the first active yeah. uh, moment that he takes. And I think that's why I kind of honor and respect that in what he does here. And yeah, it leads to everything that happens, but Schultz wouldn't be who he is if he didn't make an effort in this moment, inspired by the horrible things that he's seen. And God, how can I walk into this minefield carefully? So to address what you brought up, Steve, for some people in our world, and I will say, I'm not going to generalize, but for some white people in our world, seeing this kind of violence, seeing this kind of, seeing this kind of stuff, it can unsettle them, right? But for people of color, this is something, as Jay has said, that we have been aware of, Uh, no matter how white passing we, some of us may be or whatever, we have been aware of these kinds of things that have happened to people in our communities for years by a white dominated society. So for us, it's the effect is different, but I respect how difficult it must be to go through all of this stuff and speak these words and say the things that you have to say, you know, because it's, it's a lot, it can take a lot out of someone because I know how, you know, caring and, and sympathetic you can be to these situations. So, you know, I, I totally respect that. Thank you for that. It, it, it's funny. It's the first time I ever felt the actor I'm going home and I'm not letting go of the role thing. Mm-hmm. It's, I've never had that experience except yeah. for this. Yeah. Cause I felt, I found myself dreading, oh, I have to go do this again and, yeah. and not, and I love the conversation. I love doing the show. Right. 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 You know, anyway, Schultz escapes in the library. Candy follows him with a couple of pieces of white cake in the contracts. You brooding about me getting the best of you, huh? Actually, I was thinking of that poor devil you fed to the dogs today, D'Antonion. And I was wondering what Dumas would make of all this. <laughs> now, does Candy even know what the name Dumas is? Hell no. Alexandre Dumas. He wrote The Three Musketeers. Yes, of course, Doctor. I figured you must be an admirer. You named your slave after his novel's lead character. If Alexandre Dumas had been there today, I wonder what he would have made of it. And Candy thinks he knows the whole of it. Yeah. He thinks it's just a soft-hearted thing. And I love, A, I love this moment mm. for the movie. And I also love this moment because I doubt most of the people watching the film know what he's about to say. Alexandre Dumas is black. Which a lot of people still to this day. No, that's what I mean. Did not yeah. know. No. And there's just no response. <laughs> like, just, I don't think that Candy's brain could process this information. They go and they sign their papers. Everything is good. Everything is in order. Brunhilde von Schaft. Consider yourself a free woman. And what's so hard is, like, you know we're not out. You know yeah. we're not going to, you know. Mr. Candy. Normally... I would say Auf Wiedersehen, but since what Auf Wiedersehen actually means is till I see you again, and since I never wish to see you again, to you, sir, I say goodbye. Mm -hmm. Great exiting line. (laughs) Unfortunately, Candy says, One more moment, doctor. 
It's a custom here in the South. Once a business deal has concluded that the two parties shake hands. And Schultz does not want to shake this man's hand. Right. And he tries to get out, out of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm afraid I must insist. So why is Candy insisting? Because he wants to rub the salt in the wound because he's, yeah, a, that's petty, he's yep. a petty little yep. bitch. And yeah. you know what you said earlier? Schultz fucks up? No, it's Candy who fucks up. By pushing that little extra bit, he's mm. only one. By wa- by wanting to rub his nose in the dog shit mm. is when all everything pops off, leads to his death. Everybody fucking dying. Steven dying. His sister dying. All of this happens because he wants to force him to shake his hand in a show of dominance. Yeah, well, it, it isn't that. It, that it, there there isn't a gentleman's agreement no, here. This isn't no. this. Oh, this isn't a good doing business with you. This is a, I won. This is the end of a sporting event. Exactly. I won. Yep. Uh, And I think too, I think it's because of the word panache. I think it's because Mm. he knows he speaks French. I think it's because he knows that Schultz is everything that he isn't and sees through all of his bullshit. And now he gets to go, I won. And the Dumas stuff. And Dumas, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you are a bad loser. And I think you're an abysmal winner. Love that line. Yeah. And he basically says it's it's legality. In this county, if you don't shake my hand, we don't have a deal. Mr. Pooch, if she tries to leave here before this nigger-loving German shakes my hand, you cut her ass down. And the gun comes out, aimed at Hildy's head. I love that Django steps in front. You really want me to shake your hand? I insist. If you insist. And Schultz walks forward, arm outstretched. Did you know what was about to happen? I, You know what? In that moment, I think the usage of that small pistol twice yeah. was forgotten about so perfectly. Yep. That you forgot it was a thing. You forgot he had it. It was never once mentioned. It was never brought up again. The la- after Django uses it to shoot one of the uh, Brittle Brothers, it is never mentioned again. Yep. And the way and- he shoots it, this happens so fast. Yeah. You know, I, I totally was, was surprised by it. He steps forward. That Derringer comes out, shoots him right through the flower. He reacts to the that moment of being shot, and then Steven reacts. Oh, Steven. Steven. Oh, Kevin. Ah! <laughs> it's like, uh, and, and from the, the reaction, of course, is probably from a place of caring for this person, for Candy. But also, there might be an element of, like, I worked so hard to get to this level. Yep. Now you just killed the person that has been giving me my power for so long. Who is going to take over now? You know, so there's so much involved in that screaming and yelling beyond just. But also that shows you the indoctrination, doesn't it? That a slave would cry for their master dying, who had whipped them, beat them, probably put them in hot boxes, put their other fellow slaves in hot boxes. But that kind of uh, Stockholm thing, syndrome thing, you know, you just. See, and you're like, oh, my God, that's insane. Schultz turns to Django and says, I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. And then Pooch's shotgun blows him off his feet. 
And here's where I do go, Schultz fucked up. First of all, I think he should have just shook his hand and walked out. But okay, absolutely. Who cares okay. about the guy's hand? Like you, you get what you want and you're out and free. I. It, but but the second thing is that Derringer has two shots. Mm, he yeah. could have shot Pooch, but yeah, maybe I don't know if it was loaded with two bullets. But that's a fair point. That's. A- I mean, it's we've seen it use two bullets before. Yeah, but that's it for Schultz. And then. While Steven is cradling candy, Django grabs that shotgun, shoots Schultz, and then what we are about to see is a brutal, beautifully choreographed, extremely bloody gunfight. It's still funny, because if you listen to the commentary that's going on when the rednecks come in there, it's the greatest shit in the world. Because first off, Mogi running out there, help, niggas go crazy! (laughs) And it gets shot. And it's just like, because again, like you said, it is beautifully choreographed, right? But the commentary of instead of just like, because most things would just see gunfights and just the shots going off, but there would be people screaming, talking about some help, all these different things. Who gave this motherfucker a gun? Who gave us a <laughs> goddamn gun? <laughs> like, I don't know why I laughed so hard at that. Yeah. And then when one accidentally shoots Jesse, you're like, God damn it, sorry, Jesse. The 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 it's it, all of this takes a huge amount of time to choreograph. Yeah. It's all, I mean, it, and it's all beautifully done. I will say, I believe this is my second to the last comment on its historical inaccuracy. Repeaters were really rare before the Civil War. I mean, that's why the whole Civil War is fought fought with, you know with rifled barreled muskets, you know, mm-hmm. that people just didn't have repeaters and everybody has revolvers in this scene, yeah. you know? And so, but that's the kind of gunfight, as we said, you know, accuracy shouldn't get in the way of a good story. And if, if everyone had been pulling out the <laughs> ramming rod and putting powder in their barrel, <laughs> this would not have been as exciting a gunfight. Before I move it. <laughs> what? <laughs> wait, you just wait till I finish blowing. Hold on a second. You just want to give me some gunpowder. I'm out of gunpowder. <laughs> so there are all sorts of cool moves. There's him sliding on his back across the floor. There's him when the guy's coming through the door and just blowing away a bunch of them, hiding behind the guy. It's just all sorts of great stuff. And to say that Django wipes a bunch of people out is an understatement. Yeah. Django is clearly a a a genius with a gun yeah um and the sound design by the way the sound of these guns these are like bombs cannons massive artillery we're hearing the whistle of shells coming in i mean this is over the top okay i was the only without only person i was like okay i get they're having a shootout but why does this sound like a war on a yeah. battlefield <laughs> Because accuracy shouldn't get in the way of a good story. You, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's going to be, that should be the tagline for this whole movie. Accuracy yeah. shouldn't get in the way of a good story. And, and the music, by the way, which I think is a, a mashup of James Brown and Tupac, I think. And again, why? We had Rick Ross earlier in the movie. <laughs> I believe it's pronounced Rich Ross. Yeah, Richard sorry, Ross. Sorry. Richard Ross. <laughs> <laughs> but now we get Tupac. <laughs> okay, look, we can talk about all the historical inaccuracies in this movie. <laughs> but James Brown and Tupac during a gunfight. Tupac, maybe. James Brown, who is dancing? 
Gotta have those moves. Gotta have those moves, Jay. <laughs> and in the end, Django pulls down like a big armoire on top of himself to protect himself. And there are more guys coming in, and he's surrounded, and we hear Django! What? We got your woman. And you know at this moment that it's over. And he says, Am I supposed to believe your black ass? And Steven says, I don't give a good goddamn what you believe or don't believe. I believe you don't give up in 10 seconds. We're going to blow this bitch's brains out. Believe that. You Nope. See, again, ladies and gentlemen, I, I have to correct Steve. I have to correct Steve on the way he does it, Steve. I don't give a good goddamn what you believe. I believe if you don't come out of kind of thing, we're going to blow this bitch's brains out. Believe that. Like... <laughs> Jay, let me clarify something here. Would you prefer that I do that voice? Yeah, you've got a point. No. point. Point well taken. You know what? Point well, point well taken, yeah, sir. Exactly. I'll just I'll just reinterpret. As performed by. Yes. Hold it. I give up. And he throws out his guns and stands up, and there's just a great shot looking down at him. And she's crying. And I love that at the end, he pulls his coat open and shells drop out of his, mm-hmm. his jacket. <laughs> and the song, I think, is Freedom, Richie Havens. Yeah, Richie yeah. Havens. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he did it at Woodstock, I think. Oh, sure. really? I think. And then we cut to Django upside down, oh. naked, in chains, in collar, in a, you know, like a, mask like it just absolute absolute brutality yeah and in comes billy crash kind of taps his face with his boot to wake him up cock-a-doodle-doo nigga and as he's talking to about him and talks about finding that wanted poster in his saddlebag he he goes and pulls a red hot knife out of the fire yeah Mm -hmm. and Django knows what's coming and the shot is kind of right between his legs looking at billy crash I'm to say goodnight to them nuts, Black. I want to talk about the fact that they really had Jamie Foxx butt bald naked yeah. upside. I was like, listen, <laughs> I can understand how realistic you want. I did not need to see Jamie Foxx's nuts from an aerial view. I just didn't. Maybe you did. I don't like the way you got deep voice when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you did. But, uh... You did. <laughs> that's um, what chastity belt is hello anyway go ahead yes and then in comes steven ah! yeah. miss law won't see you and steven has rescued Django in a way yeah. he sends crash away and then steven talks about how all the all the white folks had all these horrible plans to do with Django. most of them involved i think he calls them his farm parts your fun parts called fun, fun parts it's fun part most of them called dealt with fucking with your fun parts <laughs> and he, basically he explains and i think this is what steven has done his whole life was how he gets the white folks to not do the dumb choice that they want to do and yeah. convince them to do the dumb choice that he wants them to do while also making them think that it was their idea in the first mm-hmm. place yeah yeah i think that's what he's done his whole life and what he wants to have happen to him is to send him to LaQuint Dickey Mining Company. They're going to work you all day, every day, till your back give out. Then they're going to hit you in the head with a hammer, throw your ass down the nigga hole. We're out on the trail, and we see a cart 
with some slaves inside a cage and we see Django running behind and on, the name on the cart is the LaQuint Dickey Mining Company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Django says, Hey, white boy. And there is Quentin Tarantino. And I will say almost a movie ruining performance. Yes. Oh it, God. Yes. Yes. It takes me, I was involved in the movie. I'm a hundred percent there. And when he opens his fucking mouth, I am 100% out of this movie. Shut up, Black. You ain't got nothing to say I want to hear. How'd you like to make $11,000? What do you want, Black? Ugh, why? So goddamn frustrating. I love, we all love Tarantino, but he's so goddamn frustrating when he makes decisions like this. You're not a good actor. Stop putting yourself in the fucking movies. Only it, dust till dawn have you ever been decent and nothing yeah. else. Yeah. Well, and, 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 and then the decision on top of it to go like, and I'm going to do an accent. <laughs> yeah like, right it's an australian one at that which is a really difficult one to get by the fuck are you talking about back there at that plantation candyland there was eleven thousand five hundred dollar fortune just sitting there and y'all rode right past it and what he is doing is convincing them yeah that the smitty bacall bounty which they collected on a while ago is in fact the smitty bacall guys are at candyland yeah and that you should go back and somehow become bounty hunters and get that money. This it's a, it it is a ridiculous thing he's trying to convince them of, and I guess they're just dumb enough that they accept this because he tells them about it, says that they're stagecoach robbers, basically says exactly what Schultz had told to him about it. Yeah, and then we cut to one of the other guys reading that handbill that he saved because that was his first bounty. Yeah, I give Quentin Tarantino a lot of credit with this movie for those little bitty tidbits. You did not know right. you need that came back around and played a major part. Mm. The Derringer, the the extended Derringer out the yep. sleeve, the the handbill, different little things like that. Yesterday, as a free man, I rode in the Candyland on a horse with my German white partner, Doctor King Schultz. And the story he tells is that they went there to get this bounty. His partner killed Candy got shot, and everybody else decided to blame him, and that's why he's here. Yeah, It's a pretty good story he's come up, come up with, I think. And then, this is, I think, what sells it. He says, But y'all know I ain't on that manifest. And all y'all know I ain't supposed to be on this trip. And they decide to go ask the other slaves that are in that cage, and they, they at first they don't want to a- answer. He pulls out a gun. I want you to remember, I don't like liars. Is he a Candyman slave, or did he ride in with a white man on a horse yesterday? And it seems like everything they say confirms what Django said. Well, Smoke, you got a deal. And we start talking about the deal, and he wants to ride back with them. He wants to get some money. And we also hear that there is dynamite in the saddlebags. This is my last one, I promise. Dynamite was invented (laughs) in 1867. There was no dynamite yet. Say it, say it, Steve. Say it, say the line. But authenticity shouldn't get in the way. There you go. Of a good there story. you go. There you go. <laughs> so they decide to put the dynamite in with the slaves, and we're going to give Django a gun. I've just had the source fixed, and they're perfect. That's good enough. Instantly shoots him, shoots the other guy, and shoots Quentin Tarantino, who thankfully explodes out of this movie. Holding dynamite. 
Which is so weird because you're like, yeah, why'd you put yourself in it? But then again, you blew yourself up. So I'm okay. I don't. You're, so you're asking. You're asking why he put himself in it. Well, number one, uh, Mr. Roca, <laughs> this is the thing we like to call an ego. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> n- number two, it's also called an additional paycheck. Oh, good point. Remember, point. Quinn gets checks for being the writer, yeah, the producer, the director, yep. and an actor. I uh, I put myself in my feature. I had one line. It's all it take. <laughs> I guess so. It's all it take. Yeah. Yeah. And then after Quentin Br- blows up, we have great John Legend song, and the guys look up. There's the smoke, and I don't know how many takes they took him to get that smoke to part just perfectly oh, to yeah. strap it on that gun, yeah. but it looks cool as fuck. Now I'm not afraid to. Grabs another gun, grabs the horse, opens up the cage, gets the dynamite. Now, I think you mentioned this before, Jay, is that this actually is Jamie Foxx's horse. Mm-hmm. Riding bareback, which yeah. is hard. And what the uh, Dash, the horse trainer guy said to him, he's like, look, if it gets rough, if you're uncomfortable, feel unsafe while you're riding, you just bail off the horse. Just jump off the horse. You know, don't don't worry about the shot. Don't, you know, protect yourself. And what he said after Jamie Foxx galloped off on that horse, Jamie Foxx is going, I can't bail off this horse. This is going really, really fast. And after they did the shot, Dash went up to him and said, I'm really glad you didn't listen to me because that was way you could not have bailed off that horse at that speed. Uh, but the shot of him riding through the dust and, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's just great. Um, and at the same time, we see uh, white men bringing Hildy into a room and throwing her on the bed. And then we cut to this room where it's basically this is the room of bad guys, including Zoe Bell in that red mask and a whole bunch of of the overseers with guns, including and a guy taking a bath. And there's dog barking. And that's in- Snow Cypher. That's Snow Cypher and his people. Oh, that's who it is. Mm-hmm. And in comes Django and he wipes them out. Including a shot of Stone Cipher naked, and Django shoots him right in the junk, which explodes in blood. And I just look at that going, I have never been hit with a squib, but my understanding is squibs mm. hurt. Yeah. And I have no idea. They must have built some ju- exploding junk to put on the front of this guy, but I still have no idea how they did that and not have that really hurt. Because it he had to be under the water, like praying, just mm. praying. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's crazy. So, but he wipes them out, and at the same time that this is happening, the funeral of Candy is happening, and it's golden hour and very pretty. And then into the barn, Django goes and finds the body of Schultz, and he searches his coat and finds the contract with the papers that say that Hildy's free. The music, by the way, is um, Marconi, of course, and I love that he kisses his hand and touches Schultz's face and says, "Love you to see." Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a really nice moment. And then we're back with Hildy, who turns towards the camera because she hears footsteps coming. And she is obviously terrified. Yeah. And we see the shadow and we see movement coming through the slats. And he opens the door and all the way that Tarantino films it in the shadows, you know, her turning around, the music is building. It's me, baby. And the music, the way it hits, it's like opera. I mean, it's like Wagner. And it's like Broomhilda and Siegfried and Wagner. And the kiss in the shadow and then cutting back. I mean, it's all beautifully done. Hey, baby. 
This old sexy sound of Jamie Foxx. Hey, baby. The guests of the funeral have returned to the house. Stephen is swing is singing in the sweet by and by. In the sweet by and by. Laura Lee is obviously very moved about the death of her brother. Ask her to get some coffee. And everyone's sort of moving through this main room. And then you hear. Y'all going to be together with Calvin in the by and by. Just a bit sooner than y'all was expecting. Where did Jago get the suit from? Did anyone ever? Uh, it's a good question. I was wondering. I was wondering if the implication is that it's Calvin's, but they're Always very different sized guys. Yeah, maybe. that suit fit perfectly. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, and and he looks great. I mean, just to, to be clear, Crash is there with his guns. And Django does basically exactly the move that Schultz did at the beginning of the movie, which he's got a candle in his hand in front of his gun hand, and he drops it and draws and shoots Crash. Billy Crash. Now, where were we? Oh, that's right. Last time I seen you, you had your hands on my... And then he shoots him in the crotch. (laughs) Steven is hiding. Steven is the, the way Steven is like, oh my God. The way he's he can shout out, oh my God. Now, all you black folks, I suggest you get away from all these white folks. And Steven starts to go. Not you, Steven. You right where you belong. And then he tells Cora, who's just heading out. Uh, Cora, before you go, will you tell Miss Laura goodbye? D- do what now? I said, tell Miss Laura. Goodbye. And at the A of Laura, like right at that moment, (laughs) he shoots Laura and in a way that entirely defies the laws of physics. She flies out of the room. Yeah. She could have just dropped. She could have just dropped. She didn't need to fly 30 feet back from a shot, from an aerial shot. Yeah, it's not even like... (laughs) It's the, it's the wrong angle. Like she should, she should fly. She flies. It's like the bullet hits her and she takes a a complete right turn and flies away. You know, this is the weird Tarantino thing, which is the older I get, I I don't respond to as well is that it is funny, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's the mix of the violence and brutality and the humor that, that isn't working for me and works for just about everybody else, you know, but, but it is a really funny moment. And now we're down to Django and Steven. Steven. How you like my new duds? You know, for now, I didn't know that burgundy was my color. (laughs) And then Stevens, who's been kind of bent over, holding his cane, tosses the cane. Yeah. Straightens up and walks towards Django with no limp. I'm going to tell you something. It was at that moment. I'm not, this is... It sounds like I'm cracking a joke. I swear to God, this was a real thought. I thought these two dudes were going to have a martial arts fight. <laughs> stood up straight. I was like, oh, is he for the round? I, the I think this is the most fascinating choice that Stevens has been faking this limp. At least that's what I'm seeing this whole time. That he is much, he's not younger than he appears necessarily, but he is much more physically fit. That is fascinating. Yeah. Steven been out here doing Rocky workouts when Calvin go to sleep and don't nobody know it. Well, and I think what he has done was that he has used his masquerade of weakness to gain more strength. You know, 
Like he, he learned that if he looked more physically threatening, he couldn't manipulate everybody the way that he does. Mm-hmm. You said in 76 years on this plantation, you've seen all manner of shit done to niggas. But I noticed you didn't mention kneecap. <laughs> 76 years, Steven. How many niggas you think you see come and go? Huh? 7,000? 8,000? 9,000? 9,99? This too is a callback because he yep. remembered Candy yeah. calling him one in 10,000. Every single word that came out of Calvin Candy's mouth was nothing but horse shit. But he was right by one thing. I am that one nigga in 10,000. Yeah. And he shoots the other kneecap. You motherfucker. Oh, please, Jesus, let me kill this nigga. I don't, I don't know who we could give the award to for the best swearer on film, but oh, Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, my be. God. <laughs> yeah, he's the contender, man. It's either him or Scarface. I don't know. Let me tell you something. I tweeted about this part years, a couple years ago. <laughs> I said, Samuel L. Jackson on the ground yelling, Sweet Jesus, let me kill this nigga, please. It's the greatest thing I think I've ever heard in a movie because he is just cussing about but just says, sweet Jesus, let me kill this thing. Like, he don't want to do nothing. Like, it's just, you know, we all know what Samuel L. Jackson, he's known for saying motherfucker in movies. We know yes. this has become a pro- prolific thing. But the way he is howling, cussing Django out, and still want to get him back, and then later still talk shit about you can't kill us this candy land. You know, them bounty hunters going to come looking for you. <laughs> True. I think that I mean, I, it's not that Samuel L. Jackson doesn't get credit for being a great actor because I think he does, but oh, I yeah. think his choice of parts doesn't actually have people put him in the conversation with, you know, Daniel Day Lewis and Meryl Streep and some of those because he chooses yeah. parts that are more uh, out there, I guess. You know, he's a blue collar actor. Yeah. So for him, he's about the work. He's always been about the work. He's just one. It's like Michael Caine. These, yeah, that's yeah. the category he belongs in. Ben Kingsley. These people just love to work. Period. Totally. And they'll mm-hmm. be in shit because they know that A-list directors and A-list producers and A-list actors who have clout want to work with them. So they'll always find their way back to A-list movies and deliver incredible performances when called upon. But in the meantime. They're going to fill up their bank account for doing all these other because these people are meeting their quotes. Well, so and it's not? also, you know what else it is? It's also, I think they, they're asking, and I, those are great examples that you brought up, is I think some of that they're asking is, what's going to be fun? Right. You know, right. Yeah, I think exactly. Ben yeah. Kingsley in like Shang-Chi, he was having a great time. Yes, oh my you know? God. Yeah, he was. Yeah. So, and, and I think my guess is Sam Jackson had a blast on this yeah. film. I think he loved playing Steven. You want to be able to be a character. You want to get into the role. You want to get into the, the material, what you're doing. You want to deliver this story the way the writers and director's vision sees it, right? So you want to do all those things. But you also don't want to feel overtaxed and just completely drained behind it. Yeah. Yeah. You want, again, just like a regular nine to five, most people, some people have, you want to enjoy your job. Yeah. And you're going to enjoy your job if it isn't always this, 
you know, people bring up, like you brought up the Daniel Day Lewis's. I had to take this deep where I had to right. get, get into myself and uh, yeah. seclude myself from everybody. No. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with the type of actor that Samuel L. Jackson is because he, no matter what the project is in, look, we may say some of the films he in has been shit. We might bring up a Formula 51. We might bring up a Snakes on the Plane. You know, we might bring up other movies like that. Yeah. But all in all, when you look at his performance in the films, they're incredible. He's yeah. always and great. it fit and it fits. It fits the movie, the, the the exactly whatever he's in. Yeah, he understands what's required of this role. You know what I mean? Like he knows, you know, if he's Nick Fury, like this is what I, this is what my job is for this mm-hmm. role. You know. Yeah. Um. So he is screaming at Django that he's going to get caught while Django elegantly smoking candy's cigarette in his cigarette holder goes over and lights the fuse to the dynamite as as steven yells at him you done fucked up this candy land nigga you can't destroy candy land we've been here it's always gonna be a candy land And he heads out, and there is Hildy looking beautiful on a horse. Mm-hmm. The music hits as he walks into frame with that cigarette, puts on the sunglasses. Steven is still yelling in the background. Camera pushes in on Django as he turns, throws back his jacket. She, in a very theatrical way, puts her fingers in her ears. Yeah. Uh, and we hear as the as the fuse is burning down to the dynamite, we hear Steven yell. Can I do it? Can I do it? Yeah, absolutely. Jango, you open this son of a <laughs> And Candyland explodes. Such a great ending. Hey, you little troublemaker. Hey, big troublemaker. And then he spins on that horse. And she laughs. The horse does some fancy stepping. And then, and I don't understand this cut. And I actually don't like it that much. Is that we mm. cut back to Django training in the snow, drawing and shooting. You know what they're going to call you? The fastest gun in the South. Yeah. I think that cut out of this moment is weird to me. It doesn't, it doesn't apply right now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels to me like you loved that line. You were in love with your line, the fastest gun in the South. And for whatever reason, when you edited the other scene that was in, it didn't work. Yeah. And you just were like, I have to get this line in the movie. And so you put it here. Yeah. That That's how it feels to me. Uh, but I don't love it. But then we go back to them and he says, let's get out of here. And they ride away from the fire. She has a rifle and we see written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. And this is the end of Django Unchained. <sighs> so it was a 130-day shoot. It was the first movie he made without Sally Menke, his editor on everything up to this point, who had died uh, tragically. Uh, Fred Raskin was the editor. He had been the assistant on Kill Bill. And he's done a whole bunch of stuff since then. He's done, I believe, all the other Tarantino films. He did all three uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Wow. Yeah, so he's editing that number three right now. Um, this premiered at the Zigfield Theater on December 11th, 2012, released on the 25th. It made $425 million in box office. It was the highest grossing film in his career. So it was nominated for Picture, 
Best Supporting Actor for Christoph Waltz, Screenplay for Tarantino, Cinematography for Robert Richardson, and Best Sound Editing for Wiley Statement. And it won for Screenplay and uh, Christoph Waltz won. And that is all the notes. That is the end of my notes. That is the last note I have on Django Unchained. You know, it was funny because I remember this before the internet was a major, major thing. People were kind of upset that only... uh, you know, Christoph Waltz was nominated instead of oh, 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 uh, instead of Jamie or anything. Yeah. Jamie or Not Samuel even, Jackson or Leo and Leo. Oh, yeah, they're all nice. great. Leo could have because this is the one he should have got it for before Revenant. Yeah, again, I would have gave it to him for this one. I agree. This fascination with Alan Arkin, the Academy had is just mind blowing because he was nominated for this is the year of Argo. Jago is yep. such a better film than Argo. Yes, it is. And look, yep. I love Ben Affleck. I'm not going to say anything negative. I know my camera went dead again, but I'm not going to say anything negative about Ben Affleck because I love him as a director and as a person. But Argo is certainly not a film I would have given Best Picture to that year. Zero Dark Thirty is in the same year. Silver Linings Playbook is in the same year. So is Django Unchained. So those already are higher for me over Argo. So I think once again, this is something I said on the hot mic weeks ago when we were arguing about Daniel Deadweiler and arguing about the the Woman King with Viola Davis. Hollywood hates aggressive black people in their movies, and they will never give Best Picture to a film until the Academy changes to a film that has an aggressive black person taking out vengeance on white people. They just won't. Twelve Years a Slave. Yes, give me the meek back black slave that white people have to save. Give me the help, the meek black woman who's got to be, you know, taking is serving the white family. They always go for the meeker choices. Even doubt why Viola getting nominated was because she's playing a, a mother of a child that's getting duped by this religious situation. Mm-hmm. Fences, she is the put upon wife of a garbage man. They will not. They get so scared of black strength and black aggressiveness and black desire to seek vengeance on the things that they've endured. And so Django Unchained. Great, get nom- they'll certainly nominate you, but they will never let you win. And that's the frustrating part of the whole situation. And I voiced that a few weeks ago as I was st- researching and looking at all the multiple films that have aggressive black characters as their leads that never won. They get nominated, but they never win. It's funny because you say aggressive black characters, mm. and especially when it comes to vengeance, but you have vengeance in all these other movies with primarily white characters. Oh, yeah. It's never an issue at all. Oh, no, 100%. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful tale of revenge and all these different things, and it's, it's highly lauded and all this other shit, but it's, again, it's a problem yeah. when it's us overcoming. Right, right, right. There is such really solid scientific research on basic fear of blackness yeah and they've done all sorts of studies in all sorts of different ways um and one of them that i just found fascinating i'll say it really quickly was people's ability to judge the age of young black men mm. is much much worse than their ability to judge the age of young white men and then when combined and it's really really well documented that they'll judge a young black man is three to six years older than they actually are um particularly if they say, if they just say this person is might be suspected of a crime suddenly and this is everybody white black male female will put that their age they'll add four more years onto their age just by that suggestion if it's a black face mm. yep you know and so like the, and there's just so many different studies that in one way or another show fear 
just this this basic fear of that, you know. Yeah. Plus, um, who are the yeah. two people that won? There are two white people: Christoph Waltz and Quentin Tarantino for a film yeah. about slavery and revenge yeah. and all this. It's fascinating. Anyway, just want to throw that in. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, I guess we're sort of at the point of final thoughts, and I hmm. feel like I don't have that much more to say. I feel like I've said kind of you know what I was feeling pretty clearly throughout yes. this movie. Yes. I will say what I've said throughout our season of Quentin Tarantino. I think he's a genius. I think that he has incredible craftsmanship in terms of making film and the second half of his career that focuses on revenge and revenge fantasy. It just doesn't always work for me, you know, because of how it makes me feel. And it's not that I don't admire all the filmmaking. I absolutely do. And it's not that I don't respect people that totally love these movies because I get why. But for me, in the end, I'm left it up with uncomfortable feelings. Not, I'm not thrilled with just the joy of the revenge. That's my final thoughts. Fair enough. Um, I will say that I absolutely love this movie uh, because I am a revenge freak. I love revenge <laughs> movies, honestly. You know, so I, I counter Steve a bit in that way because I do love these things, and especially in the hands of an artist like Tarantino, the way he's able to use the act anachronistic moments along with, um taking influence by things that actually happened in history. I love the combo of both when he makes it work. And so it takes these revenge films into a whole nother area. Uh, and, and dare I say, elevates them. And certainly in this situation, because Django was a fun, you know, kind of spaghetti Western that Franco Nero did, and they were fun for what they were, but no one was confusing those films with magnificent seven or with, uh, you know, uh, uh, good, the bad, and the ugly or any of these films. They were what they were. What Tarantino did, like he does with all of the films that he makes that are inspired by this 70s pulp type approach, is elevate them. And he does it here. And he gets an incredible performance from Jamie Foxx. I love him much more in this film than I do in Collateral and maybe even Ray. Samuel L. Jackson does an incredible job. DiCaprio, is this is a career-defining performance from DiCaprio. And so there's so much here that if you're a young filmmaker or a burgeoning filmmaker, there is so much to study about how to handle a sensitive topic, but also get across your style and your point of view in what you want to say. And of course, a phenomenal performance from Christoph Waltz. Again, you can't do that without a great director leading you to those incredible performances. And so I think this is something that stands out very powerfully from a film like this. It moves you, makes you laugh, destroys you, and does give you a satisfying finale when it's all over. The fact is, for me, yeah, the film gives you a satisfying finale, but we know in reality that wasn't the case like Not that. Good point. You know, and so that's where the fantasy part comes in. Um, I know that, like I stated in a couple episodes, the the theme of black trauma porn. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to even though you're trying to tell this as a revenge story, you know, there is this thing of we're tired of we being black people tired of seeing slavery depicted consistently, segregation cons- consistently depicted, no matter who the artist is and no matter how genius Quentin Tarantino is. And I just use that as an overall. But when it came to Django, you know, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed the to be able to get lost into it because I got lost into a myriad of emotions. The first half of this movie, I'm laughing way more than I should be because we talked about it, how the first half of this movie, a lot of people are like, this isn't serious. You're talking about slavery. It's not serious. But then all of a sudden, it does a complete shift the moment they decide to go get Hildy. 
and the rest of this movie shows you otherwise. I think that Quentin Tarantino has, you know, he researches some things, and I do think he takes some liberty sometimes. I will always say that, like, look, I understand a movie about slavery is absolutely going to have an over-prolific use of the N-word. However, I feel like there are times when it's said in some of his films, even this one, it doesn't apply. It's not needed. It's just not. There are things that are just, some things are just like beating it in for the sense of trying to beat it in, beating a message. We know what the message is. We know what the time is. And no, you don't have to sugarcoat it. You can't sugarcoat slavery. But overall, this is a great film within his legacy. And then it's continued in the next movie, which is The Hateful Eight, Mm. you know, where you find out it's rumored that supposedly Samuel L. Jackson's character was either going to be a descendant Mm. of either Jamie or Steven, because everybody thought was like, is it Jamie? Is it Steven? Because they're, you know, Steven is, you know, Samuel L. Jackson. It's like, no, they're both bounty hunters. You know, this whole thing after the war, everything, everything is still after the war, after the war. So it's, it's just, you know, it's questioning why are you so obsessed with this period and certain things you do, but the end product shows a good thing. So that is what we think of Django Unchained. I hope you've enjoyed our epic journey through this film. Uh, As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can visit us on our Facebook page. Just do a search for The Cinephiles. It's Cine underscore files on Twitter. The Cinephiles podcast on Instagram. If you haven't subscribed to the show, it's time to subscribe to the show. You just have to visit us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify or YouTube. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts and can leave us a review, they really do help us go up in the rankings. If you haven't seen Django Unchained and now you're excited to go see it well you should go to cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream this movie along with every other film we've ever reviewed and as john said at the beginning of the podcast we continue these conversations on to patreon where we do our patreon shorts patreon watch alongs and all sorts of other ways where you can interact with other fans of the show and with us uh that's patreon.com slash the cinephiles and if you want to reach me you can do it at sr morris on twitter sr morris one on instagram and enterprise incidents to check out my star trek podcast john how would people find you you can always find me at the roca says on twitter instagram and tiktok the outlaw nation on twitch my youtube channel youtube.com slash john roca says and my other podcasts the uh geek, geek buddies. buddies and the hot mic they're all you know I mean, there we go all right there we go <laughs> oh, but jay of course thank you for going a long way with us on this journey yes it's thank you jay. absolutely fantastic having you on the show how would people find you if they wanted to uh, th- again, as I've said in every episode, thank you for having me. Sincerely, it means a lot. Uh, I'm very appreciative and very grateful that you guys reached out to me. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Please go in reverse order. Do TikTok first, then Instagram and Twitter at Mr. J Washington. M R J A Y. You should know how to spell Washington. Check out the Mad Titan podcast. Is where I get you caught up on all the things happening in the Marvel and DC live action cinematic universes. It's barbershop talk for nerds. Come on in the convo and check out the Black Boy Content Club podcast with myself, Chris Burns, and Moses Prim. We talk pop culture, news, sports, entertainment, and we just did the first ever Nan Awards. Yes, instead of the NAACP we did the N, the NAAN the National Association for the Advancement of you know right mm-hmm. that's what that in is check out the new episode of the NAN Awards you will very much be appreciative <laughs>
Steve, you should definitely watch the episode of the Black Bull Content Club when where they put up authors against each other in fights. Who would win? Langston Hughes <laughs> versus James Baldwin. That was one. Ooh, of my that's favorite. a tough one. That's a tough. I go with James Baldwin. Too. That's that would be my vote. But but uh, you know that's a, that. Now I definitely have to check that out. I mean, James was the choice from everybody on that show, which frustrated me because Langston is like a boy named Sue. If your name is Langston, you're gonna go. You're gonna do, grow up tough. It was Langston. Um. So uh, that is not only it for this week, but I believe we have reached the end of the season of Tarantino. Yes. This has been an absolutely incredible exploration of this amazing filmmaker. I hope you have all enjoyed it. And I think that's it for this week. We will see you next time with another great film on The Cinephiles. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc what's so special about hero bread soft fluffy and delicious breads buns and tortillas these ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health shop now at hero.co